0: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Yes. How's it going? Oh, you know, Josh, it's Monday.
0: I don't like recording on Mondays. I don't either. We're in this stupid room that you hate. My head hurts, too. Jerry's all bummed out. What a life. What are we doing? I don't know. <laughs> this isn't a big upper of a topic, either. No desertification? Yeah, maybe it's a good thing we're not in like some chipper mood.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Because, as you know, Chuck, desertification is one of the overlooked, I think, problems, crises facing humanity right now. Yeah, man. Big time. Uh, especially here in the cushy U.S., Especially in the very lush southeastern U.S., yeah, it's kind of easy to overlook. And we even sure. had like a pretty huge drought a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh, and you know we're like, oh no, we have slightly less drinking water than we did before. Right. Well, there were some other slight issues. We had some uprooting of trees and such. Sure, there was that. Uh, there wasn't nearly as much boating or jet skiing True. as usual. Yeah, uh, which I'm sure affected a lot of the um, gas stations around some of the lakes, right? Yeah, there were probably some uh, impacts here and there that we didn't think about. Um, And you're probably right. But it's also even easier to overlook some of the impacts that take place during desertification in some of the more marginalized societies in the world, right? Yeah, for sure. So what are we looking at? I think it's like uh, 90% of the people who live in uh, areas that are at risk of desertification are – the poor under undeveloped countries right right Josh, it's about two billion people right, and for these people there's a kind of a slightly more problems than not being able to jet ski as much as one would like um I think the infant mortality rate is about ten times that of an industrialized nation indeed um and something like twenty four thousand people die every day from starvation. A lot of these people are found in desertified areas, right. Right. Let's get to the to the nitty-gritty of this, Chuck. What is desertification? <laughs> I'm just going to say it in my words. Okay.
0: Desertification is when um, uh, natural things take place and then man-made things take place to cause essentially what is the degradation of the soil itself to where it will erode, things won't grow there, and basically you're left with a barren desert landscape.
1: Right, that's Chuck's definition. That's a good definition, Chuck. Thanks. It's dead on uh the two chief processes that hasten desertification are um poor soil management, right, yeah, and overuse of the land, right. This land is not uh meant to
0: have lots and lots of people and cattle grazing. Not people grazing, obviously. People farming, <laughs> cattle right. grazing.
1: Right. And um, with the land we're talking about specifically are seri- se- semi-arid regions, right? Drylands, Right. And we have one of those here in the United States. You uh-huh. wouldn't think of it because it's artificially managed, but the Great Plains are yeah. semi-arid. Oh, yeah. Um, and because of those uh, man-made interventions like uh, overuse uh-huh. um, and intensive farming techniques uh-huh. that uh, – and not observing soil conservation, uh, we actually did experience desertification. Yes, sir. The in the last hole.
0: century. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what happened. We got all these newfangled uh, farming equipment and said, hey, we're kind of poor because the depression is coming up, and um, so we need to use all this stuff to really farm a lot. Right and that's what happened and then the dust bowl happened and
1: uh but we got it back well there there well there was this perfect storm that happened actually in the in the midwest in the late 20s since it was the roaring 20s everybody was making tons of cash and farmers um started borrowing heavily right. uh and then the the depression hit and much like today um the values of land dropped uh the prices of um commodities including agricultural products dropped and people yeah. started having trouble making payments, banks foreclosed. At the same time, the the farmers were hit really, really hard financially. They were also hit really, really hard naturally uh, because as they tried to step up farming to increase yields, um, all they did was strip the land of its nutrients. And it it became this uh, vicious cycle where – the harder they tried to cull stuff from the land, the worse off it got, yeah. and then all of a sudden, n- nothing would grow.
0: Yeah, well, bring in a drought, which is the second component. Right. Mother Nature lending a hand. Yep. and Well, not a hand, a, b- a backhand. <laughs> and uh, that's when the Dust Bowl occurred, and we were in bad shape in the Great Plains for a long time.
1: Yeah, apparently these things were uh, like the dust storms that came up. Uh, like trains would miss their stops in the middle of these things because they couldn't see Um, static electricity is easily generated by these particles. Right. So cars would stall. Um, so people started dragging chains behind them to ground the cars to keep them from stalling. Um, people would, uh, put wet sheets up over their windows and like you would have drifts of dust, like in your house with all the doors and windows closed. It would still get in. It was everywhere. Yeah. It was bad, bad news, bad times. Right. Right. But we got it back. We did. Like I said. Yeah.
0: Great Plains farming once again, rich soil once again, and that's a little teaser because we can we can combat this, but we'll we'll get to that at the end.
1: Right, so it's happened here. It's happening in other places. It's actually happening at a pretty rapid pace, isn't it, Chuck? Yes, Josh. Stats? Are you calling for stats? I am. Uh, new
0: deserts are growing at a rate of twenty thousand square miles a year. Yeah, and uh, when you consider that half of the total land mass of the Earth is dry land, and ten to twenty percent of that land is already degraded then it's not looking good.
1: No, it's not. And there's not a lot of processes in place right now that are going to stop this although we have a pretty clear picture of what's causing this, right? Like we said, poor soil conservation. Yeah, it's pretty easy actually yeah. when you look at it. It's not like a the most complicated problem. Well, let's talk about the problem first. Like what what's going on? What's what what causes desertification? Well, if you're talking ecosystems like the human body
0: and like any living thing, you're looking for balance. What right. was the word we used in the- uh, Homeostasis. Homeostasis. Yeah. So an ecosystem wants balance as well, and anything to throw it out of balance is not good, which is what happens with uh, desertification. When you get infrequent rain- uh, rainfall, you lose um, what's called humus, which is the really good organic- uh, Topsoil, right? Maybe That's what you want.
1: Dead plant and animal material, right? Yeah. So bobcats walking along gets struck by lightning, falls <laughs> <Yeah>. over <laughs> onto the ground. That's great for it's mother nature. It's going to degrade and, uh-huh. and uh, be eaten by microbes and then turned into humus, which supports soil. Yeah, and we're talking carbon, nitrogen, sulfur, phosphorus. All these things that make your topsoil really fertile, right? And a, there's nothing wrong with a semi-arid region. Like it, it, it's not a desert. You don't want to confuse the two. Yeah. The problem is, is when humans come in and say, "We really need this land, yeah. this semi-arid land," and we're overused. going to overuse it, then it does become a desert, and it becomes overused um, by not rotating crops. Yeah um by not using uh, or overusing chemical fertilizers right not composting like you should right exactly and um kind of irresponsible irrigation techniques right allowing for runoff that kind of stuff the problem is is like you said humus is so essential that if you if you strip the soil of its humus yeah no matter how much uh, rainfall comes along, it's not going to restore that balance. No. Even worse, the rainfall is just going to carry the soil away. Yeah, just erodes it further, which is the problem. So uh, what are some of the things that we're doing to to the semi-arid regions? Let's say a bunch of people suddenly come to a semi-arid region and say, we're going to start farming here. What, what are some of the uses of, of this land that, that can be problematic?
0: Well, grazing. Yeah grazing of cattle like irresponsible grazing what happens is a lot of poor people might migrate to an area because their area has been degraded so you have a mass migration of people that will bring in all their cows so they're overusing the land all of a sudden the cows are grazing and you know you, you can't fault them for saying it's irresponsible grazing because they're trying to survive sure and they eat all the grass let's say right grass is is in trees are essential for holding that topsoil together. Yep. So once that's gone, or firewood was another one, right?
1: Yeah, because it, it, if they're looking for firewood, right? If you're using that right. for fuel, which then they do like crazy. You're going to cut down trees because there's your fuel right there. And when you cut down a bunch of trees, you actually um, make the land much more reflective, which dries out the atmosphere. It causes more evaporation. Yeah. Um, and also once you lose that that anchor for the soil, the soil gets kicked up as dust. Yeah. So the combination of that more um, that drier climate, sure. Plus the dust in the air means it's harder for precipitation to form, making the, the area even more arid. Yeah, like compounds on itself. Sure.
0: I, I got a stat. I was telling you that the mass migration of people. Yeah. Uh, in the 1990s, dry land regions um, grew 18.5% in population. I mean, these are places that shouldn't have that many people there anyway. Right. They were probably already overtaxed then mass migration happens and it's just a recipe for disaster.
1: Right, and the problem is humans migrate a lot faster than land can be restored, right? Yeah, much faster. So you 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 move from one place to another, use that place up, you move to the next one. There there's you're eventually going to run out of places to move. Yeah. Right? That's what's happening. It is. And it's easy to overlook here in the US, although I don't think we should because we we do have very um we have really good irrigation techniques in yeah. the Great Plains these days. Sure. But if you look at it, it's, we're not, there's not a bunch of people living on the Great Plains. It's pretty sparsely populated. But humans in the U.S. are virtually represented on the Great Plains because you've got 1% of Americans farming for the rest of America, right? Right. So there's like a virtual demand on that land through farming. Because it produces the food we eat. So we may right. not be living there, sure. but we're using that land just as if we were indigenous yeah, people all living on the Great Plains. Right. And the water that's used there actually is virtually exported elsewhere, right? Yeah. So we're we're putting in water inputs there. It's growing, and we're taking that, that water basically and exporting it to the places where we eat that food because we don't have to use the water here. So it's like a virtual export of water. Right, Interesting. Yeah.
0: Well, the other thing, too, being American, is we import a lot of our food right? because we can afford to do so. So we get food from all over the world. One of the things that exacerbates the uh, desertification is these migrating poor people, they're relying on the natural ecosystem around them pretty much only. Right. Right, They can't afford to, sometimes in regions where they just can't import anyway, plus they can't afford to because prices are skyrocketing for like wheat and soy, Mm -hmm. so they need to use the grass that's behind them and the cow that's eating it and the little tiny river full of dirty water.
1: Yeah, because if you're cutting down trees for fuel, you're probably not exporting a lot of stuff. I got another stat for you. Let's hear it.
0: You ready to be creeped out? I am. Uh, 50 million people will be displaced by desertification in the next 10 years. And I saw that. So it says peopleandplanet.net.
1: That's a lot of
0: people. That's a lot of people. And they're going to places like we said that's not aren't necessarily, you know,
1: fertile oases anyway. Right. So it's just making everything worse. And again, if you don't have the money to import food, you don't have the money to virtually import water, hence the 24,000 people that die every day of starvation. Uh, yeah, every day. Wow. It's a very sad stat. Like you said, though, Chuck, um, so l- just let's provide a quick recap, right? You've got a semi-arid region right. that looks kind of lush. You know, it doesn't look like a desert. Right. You come in, you start planting, mm-hmm. you use too much chemical fertilizer, you uh, overgraze, you cut down trees for fuel, Sure. You don't and, you're, your crops. and you're making a living. A few people can do this and it can be sustainable, but when too many people start doing it, then the... The humus is lost in the soil, and uh, the, um, the land starts reflecting back into the sky. Sure. So precipitation goes down. The soil is loose. Storms blow in, right. and you got nothing. You have desert erosion and desert. Yeah. How do you combat this? Well, Josh, it's not
0: easy. It's actually fundamentally easy, but it's hard because not enough people are taking part. Right, and it's such a it needs to be done on such a massive scale, right? Exactly. Uh, what you have to do. This started at a grassroots level, is what they say. Yeah, and uh, you need to go in there. We, the people, like the UN, I know has a group. We'll plug them in a second. And you go in and you teach these people long-term benefits, teaching them to think long-term as far as rotating crops, right. uh, terracing the land, proper irrigation techniques, so they're not so short-sighted in just trying to get the crop this year. You got to teach them; it's
1: hard to do. That's what we did in the um, late 30s and early 40s. The federal government. Um, was like, wow, we, our nation's breadbasket is a desert now. We have to do something. But they determined that they couldn't constitutionally force farmers to use improved soil techniques. So they turned to the states to basically force them to, and they created soil conservation districts. Yeah. Uh, and made it virtually free to farm. And, and undertake these soil conservation techniques. So they're like, we're going to provide you with everything you need. Just do this, right? Yeah. Um, use contour plowing to, to trap water better when you right. irrigate. Um, the federal government also planted between 1935 and 1942 185,000 miles of trees. Yeah, that's
0: a huge one because right. trees, not only do they help keep the soil together with the root system, but they block, uh, the wind. Mm -hmm. And the wind causes a lot of erosion. Yeah. This is all easier done in America, obviously. You got, we got our work cut out against this for developing nations.
1: Well, yeah. And, but China, I mean, they're, they're starting to get a little more cash in their pocket than they had before. And they have a huge problem with desertification as the Gobi is creeping closer and closer toward Beijing. Yeah. Apparently, a dust storm from the Gobi. Uh, that covers Beijing. Are uh, some of them are so enormous that they can be detected in the states? Yeah, crazy. Yeah, it's uh, a big dust
0: storm. It is. China is taking action though. They built a, or they're in the process of planning a three thousand mile long belt of trees along the edge of the Gobi, which was going to help. Yeah, and um, I think what other country is doing that? And uh, oh, along the Sahara Desert, they're going to they're
1: trying to build a similar, like they're calling it a green wall, right? And there's a German company – actually, it's not a company. They're out of Bremen University. I love this one. Um, they figured out that if you take coffee sacks, like mm-hmm. jute sacks, um, fill them with this uh, this kind of gel that can hold like a thousand times its weight in water or something yeah. like that. Seeds, compost, and uh, – Sort of like a seed bomb. It is. It's like a huge seed bomb. Yeah. You can drop them out around the desert. That's so awesome. And they will or at least a semi-arid region and they will take root uh w- after just a few rainfalls. Uh you can also put them in between trees. Mm-hmm. And just leave the trees yeah. and those trees will grow. I think they had a 80% success rate with a type of holly tree that they were trying to grow. They plant two of them and then put one of these bags in between them. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um
0: the other thing I thought was cool in the article was that uh the writer talked a little bit about sometimes the old traditional techniques, the ancient techniques. Yeah. They were like really on target with what they were doing, and sometimes a modern way doesn't work as well. So in Spain, uh, an, a British company has been renovating an, a 1,000-year-old Moorish irrigation
1: system. Yeah. How cool is that? It's just cool that there's a 1,000-year-old irrigation system yeah, still true. around. Yeah, Chuck, there's – um, <laughs> I mean, unless you feel like going to – China or sub-Saharan Africa and plant trees. There's not a lot you could do as like a stuff you should know, listener, right? Except where is there? Yeah, um, one of the one of the key ways of preventing desertification or s- slowing it, I guess, is encouraging um, indigenous societies to look for alternative means of. of s- sustaining themselves i guess yeah besides farming and agriculture right and you know there's things like uh growing herbs and uh things you can make oil extracts from and using them right. in soaps and stuff like that uh-huh. so i guess if you wanted to do something here in the states or in norway sure uh, you, you would maybe kind of look for something like that and start buying them on mass yes, online uh-huh. does your does uh, emily sell those on love your mama uh, well, she sells her own soaps, but she doesn't. Does she use oils from the Gobi or anything? <laughs> no, she tries to buy local,
0: actually. Right on. That's not local. No, <laughs> no, it's not that local. I'm going to shame her for not shipping
1: in her essential oils from the Gobi. That's <laughs> right? You got anything else on desertification? Yeah,
0: just if you want to read a little bit more on uh, how you can participate or at least support and write letters, that kind of thing. Uh, the UN has a cool site, the United Nations Convention to Combat Desertification. And that is unccd.int. Nice. And you can click on action programs, and that's programs spelled with two m's and an e. Yeah, British. They're silly that way. Sure. So uh, it's pretty cool. You can click on action programs, and they have it. There isn't one action program because it's got to be very specific to the land. So you click on that, and you can go to Africa, and you can go to a subregion of Botswana, and find out. Like you can download a PDF to see exactly what they're trying to do. So Cool. It's kind of cool just to educate yourself.
1: Or you can start collecting jute coffee bags and mail them to Bremen University. Yeah, sea seed pumps. Go, here you go. Uh, if you want to know more about desertification, arguably the greatest crisis humanity faces right now, uh, you can type that word in. Remember, just one S in the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, which means it's time for listener mail.
0: Indeed, Josh. I'm going to call this those crazy, wacky Aussies. Okay. We have a lot of Aussie listeners. We hear from them quite a bit. And uh, they are they are wacky people, and we need to make it down there at some point. <laughs> okay. Although I don't think you could ever stomach that flight, could you? Uh, I'm going to Japan. That's 14 hours. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, this comes from uh, Chris from Australia. I listen to your podcast all the time. I'm sure it's a clinical addiction. And I thought you needed to know about... Cowpat Lotto. You know what a cow pat is? It's poop. Yeah, cow pie, cow poop. Uh, Cowpat lotto is recognized, but certainly not common event in rural Australia, where a paddock is plotted into sections. I don't know what you would call it. I don't know, an area of land. Maybe you call it a paddock, is what he says. That's what I've always called it. So they split it into sections. Uh, this is all done on paper, uh, like a Cartesian coordinate. Gamblers will bet their money on a particular portion of said paddock, When it's decided that it's time to get on with the game, a farm animal, traditionally bovine, (laughs) you know it's coming, (laughs) is thrown in the paddock. Gamblers and other locals then sit around eating and drinking and generally making merry and wait for said bovine to take a crap. Wow. So when the aforementioned cow has uh, taken its poo-poo, uh, its coordinates are taken, and the winner is whoever's plot the poo-poo has landed in, obviously. Uh, Prizes? I don't know. Maybe the money, maybe they wait for a second and third prize, Uh, although this would indicate an unhealthy cow. (laughs) It keeps going. Right. And maybe they get a turkey or a meat tray or a slab of beer or something. That's where I get confused.
1: Wait, a slab of beer? Yeah. What, is that a case? Uh, I
0: don't know, maybe. It's Australian for case. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, Anyways, generally used as a fundraiser, like a local raffle. So it's like a fundraising thing. And as you said, there's like ladies having bake sales and... The guys are all sitting around getting hammered, basically. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> Australia. It's Australia. <laughs> uh, generally, it's a great excuse for a suck more. And that is an Australian uh, synonym for a shindig, a nanny, a party, or a booze up. They call it a suck more. Okay. So that's from Chris, Australia, red hair.
1: <laughs> nice. Thanks, Chris. So now we know about desertification and suck mores. Yes. If you have an interesting term you want to introduce Chuck and I to, Chuck and me to, one of those two, uh, send it an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the howstuffworks.com homepage.